This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Well, Merry Christmas, Calvary, wherever you are. We're here together, a few of us celebrating Christmas Eve, our annual candlelight service. Uh, What a year it is. Uh, You're going to be where you are. We're Christmas at home this year. Uh, and one of the best services of the year. We always love being together. Uh, but this year it's church at home. And I was trying to remember what prior Christmases were like, but can you even remember what you got for Christmas last year? I can't. I can't even remember what I spoke on last year, and I resisted. This is the 29th Christmas Eve I've been at Calvary, and I resisted going to the file and looking at anything else. Because this year is unlike any other year. This is the Christmas, 2020, that we will always remember. We're going to always remember this year uh, because of what happened. And this year, when you do candle lighting, it'll be your carpet that will have the wax and all of your furniture. Uh, We'll remember that. But all of the things that happened in this year, all the sickness, the death, um, unemployment, violence, political unrest, all of the things that came into our world this year, financial worry, educational worry, whether our kids are going to make it to the next grade, all of those things are huge in our mind, but they are unable to overwhelm the light of Christmas. The fears of our day are unable to overcome the hope that Christmas is. Christmas is filled with hope, and we all need hope. We want hope more than anything else. Remember that the only thing greater than fear is hope. And so we're going to turn to the scriptures and find hope and look for the hope that is in the story that we celebrate at Christmas every year. We all need it. In fact, as soon as you begin to think about the Christmas narratives, you know the one phrase that keeps happening over and over again is, fear not to Mary, to Joseph, to Zacharias, to the shepherds in the field, the first thing God said when he showed up was, don't be afraid. So in 2020, when fears filled our hearts and minds, isn't it great to turn to the scriptures and say, we can have hope. And in fact, if you just stand where you are today in 2020 and look back in history for 2020 years, Here we are celebrating the life, the birth, the death of Jesus Christ as the good news of the church. And nothing over all the history of all of mankind has been able to overwhelm the beautiful, hopeful message of Christmas. So we're kind of myopic when we think about COVID 2020 in our world here in Colorado. But just remember the whole church has gone through world wars, pestilence, famine, and many travails over all of those years. And still this message goes on and on, that hope keeps living. And hope, we've talked about, we all need it. It was promised by God in the Old Testament. It arrived in the birth of Jesus, and hope has a name. In his book, entitled Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller makes a really striking statement. He writes, human beings 
are hope-shaped creatures. How you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. How you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about the future. So whatever we're thinking about the future, it shapes where we are today. And all of us have inside of us the desire to find hope, hope that really transforms and changes us, hope that gets us up in the morning, hope that keeps us thinking about going on and believing that it might get better. Hope draws us forward in a beautiful way. In fact, the Bible talks about hope as being an anchor, an anchor actually for the soul. If hope is an anchor, it's found in Hebrews chapter 6. Two verses there say these words. I'll read them. It is impossible for God to lie. Just think about that for a moment. It is impossible for God to lie. <clears throat> we would say he is true truth. He's real reality. Like there's nothing outside of him that has anything that isn't absolutely real authentic and true. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So the Bible says that that hope is like an anchor that keeps you grounded, firm and secure, just like an anchor would be for a boat. Now, this imagery is, um, is sort of an ancient idea that when boats came into a troubled harbor, they didn't have all of the navigation systems that are available today. And so the way in which a boat would come to rest in a troublesome harbor would be to offload the anchor onto a smaller boat that would be rowed to a satisfactory place found by those navigating and then dropped out of the smaller boat into a place where it could be moored securely on a line to the other boat. And then those in the boat got on the rope and pulled their boat to the anchor where they were safe. You see, once you're well anchored, you can safely navigate a troublesome harbor. And once your life is grounded in a hope, a future hope that is sure and steadfast, then you know how to live in this very moment. And you know what? Once your hope is rightly grounded, it's firm and secure, you know how to live today. And that's what I want to talk about because hope has arrived and hope has a name, and it's revealed for us in the opening chapter of the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, let's open together to Matthew chapter 1, and here is the Christmas story unfolding for us, introduced in the opening chapter, the name of hope. So I'm going to read beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word to us. And I love its simplicity in such an awesomely complex, unfathomably complex event in the history of the world. God is simply laying out here, the birth of Jesus was this way. And then he begins to unfold for us. Matthew tells us three things in verse 22, which sort of shape the unfolding of this story. Number one, she will bear a son, you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And so let's look at those three things. First, we look at Mary. She will bear a son. And the text opens up that when the mother of Jesus was betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. In Jewish custom, when Mary and Joseph got married, they would always have a contracted relationship, an arranged marriage, in which they would be immediately considered husband and wife. But they didn't begin to live with each other at that time. Usually, the betrothal period or the engagement was about 9 to 12 months That period was set aside in their traditions for the husband to prepare a place where they would live together. It was also generally thought to be a proving ground for the fidelity and faithfulness of each of them. But they were considered at that moment husband and wife, even though they didn't begin to live together. And Mary... Mary gets this word that she's going to have a child before they were even living together. What we would say about this birth, obviously, it was miraculous. And Mary is a picture of a humble, obedient, gentle, devout, righteous, holy, God-fearing woman who in that moment said to God, I don't know how this will be. How will it be? But eventually be it done to me according to your word. Mary had a role to play in bringing this life into the world. It's an amazing thought that uh, she is the one who's credited for bringing this little hopeful baby into the world. In fact, when Paul writes in the New Testament, he writes these words, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Born of a woman. Of course, they're always born of a woman, but usually a man and a woman. But not in this case. Joseph is not in Galatians 4.4, only Mary. Because Mary's unique role is to be the pregnant virgin. Anything that ever seems so strange, so divine, so miraculous. This had to occur. It had to occur that the Son of God who was always existing for all of eternity, came into our world, not by a man and a woman, 
but by God's work through a woman. And in that way, entered the world without sin and could be for us, our God-man, Savior, Jesus. But we shouldn't miss Mary's role in all of this. She will bear a child. She's a beautiful picture of an, a, a woman whose heart is after God, who says, I will do what you want me to do. Joseph's job is different. It's simpler in a way. Your job, you name him Jesus. And if you look in verse 25, it ends the section that he called his name Jesus. So way to go, Joseph. But you have to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and, and think, where, how is Joseph now getting this word? And the text unfolds for us that he actually wants out. Once he learns... Mary's carrying a child. He wants out. But God comes to him, and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. You think about the mind of Joseph exploding with, how is this possible? But again, do not fear. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David, he is in the lineage of King David of Israel. He will be the foster father for Jesus and his legal father so that Jesus can sit on David's throne when he comes again. But Joseph's role in this case is to be obedient, humble, devout, God-fearing. This was a perfect couple. They were great for each other. They, they both had this awesome challenge to do what God had asked them to do. They had both been devout and into the world without human relationships. Jesus is born to Mary. And these two young people in a chaste, pure life become God's instrument to bring Christ into the world, the hope of the world. Think about the fears that Mary had to overcome. What will they say? Or of Joseph. I bet his fears initially felt bigger than our fears of the last 10 months. How did he overcome them? It had to be that there was a hope in the promise that God had made, that in time his heart just attached to that and her heart attached to, this will be God's son. Be it done to me according to your word. And did Mary live out for all her days that devotion so that she could say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit exalts in God my, what's the next word? my Savior. That was Mary's song. And Joseph said, I will do what the Lord said. So she will have a son. You will name him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. That is an amazing pre-birth narrative that takes full form when Jesus lives his life. At Christmas, we love the glitter, we love the lights, we love all the festivities. 
But it has to sink into us that in order to have hope in the birth of Jesus, we have to understand the purpose of Jesus, which is found in the name of Jesus. You will call him Jesus. What is that name? That's the Old Testament Hebrew name Joshua. Yahshua, which means Yahweh will save. God will save. And this baby was going to have a name Jesus, which was a common name to honor Joshua of the Old Testament. But all of those other names were simply pointers to the fact that God would save. This child would be God who saves. He really was Yahweh, who is salvation. So he will save his people from their sins. The purpose of Jesus coming into the world then is unfolded even before he's born in this narrative that he came into the world to do something that no one else could do. No one could do for themselves. No one could do for us except God entering our world in a miraculous virgin birth to Mary that God entered the world to save his people from their sins. And then in the history and the rest of the unfolding of the New Testament, this is actually what you constantly hear. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was a gift that God gave. And then in this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son, sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might experience righteousness. And he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And on and on it goes throughout the New Testament, the unfolding of he shall save his people from their sins is the reason that Jesus came into the world. And so it might be a little heavy, but hey, this is a big, heavy time. Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm one. And I've been saved by Jesus. And I owe all of my life to him. You might say to yourself, well, I don't know if I'm a sinner. I remember walking on Pearl Street probably 25 years ago, anxiously doing interviews with people, whoever would talk to me. And one of the questions on my little tablet was a question about sin. And I remember a 25-year-old professional almost taking a step back and saying to me, who says I'm a sinner? And I thought to myself and sort of said lightly, God does. <laughs> and it was like, I don't want your God. And it's very possible that you might be here to say and say, well, I'm not really a sinner. And to that, I would simply say, remember, it's impossible for God to lie. He says of us, all of us have sinned. And it would be an affront to Jesus to say to him, I'm not a sinner. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But maybe more accurately, we would say, well, my life is pretty good. I have some sin, but I, I've done a lot of good things too. And I'm very confident that I'm better than, you know, who. And my goods are going to outweigh my bad. And 
then I would say again that God doesn't lie. He said all of our good deeds are just like filthy rags. And none of us are saved by our works, but by his grace alone. But one of my fears is that you might be listening to me and you might say of yourself, I'm too great a sinner for Jesus to save me. And I would say to you, that too would be an affront to Jesus to say that your sins are greater than the God of all gods, Jesus Christ. He is able to be an anchor that is steadfast and sure. He's certainly able to deal with our sins, whether we understand the depth of it or not. And most of us don't understand how terrible we are on the inside until he comes and he saves us by his grace. But the promise of Christmas is that he will save his people from their sins. So in another place in the Bible, it says, how blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. How blessed is, how happy is the woman to whom God does not credit sin, but credits instead forgiveness. Happy. We use the word like happy at Christmas time. It's Mary. How merry is the person whose sins are forgiven? And if we thought of the merriness of Christmas as the truest message that God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin to forgive us of our sins, how hopeful Christmas would be. Here's the point. If you know that Christ came to forgive our sins and he's forgiven yours, that is the anchor that keeps us pulling forward like I know where I am. I am deeply rooted in the one whose name is hope. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this was spoken to fulfill what was said by the prophet. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name, another name for Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Christmas is about God being with us to do what no one else could do for us, and that's to forgive our sins. His name is hope. It's filled with hope. But Jesus has a lot of names. I wrote several of them down. And Jesus is one, Jesus Christ not his first and last name, but Christ, a title that he is the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. That's three names right here. But could I share a couple more with you? How about these? He is the Almighty One, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things that are, Apart from him, nothing was made that was made. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the coming judge who will judge the living and the dead. He's the great I am. He is the bread of life, the living water, the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, the door, the way, the truth, the life. He's the true vine and the good shepherd. Are you with me? He is the cornerstone. He is the head of the church. He's the great high priest. He's called faithful and true. He is the indescribable gift. 
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who truly liberates us. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. He's our advocate who stands between us and our Father in heaven to bring us to our Father. He's the mediator. He is the deliverer from the wrath to come. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our rock. He's our risen Lord. He's the sacrifice for our sins. He's our Savior, and he's our Redeemer. And I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the last days he will stand on the earth. I mean, the names of Jesus go on and on. He's the beloved Son of God. He is the Almighty God. He is the wonderful Counselor everlasting father, prince of peace. And this text ends with, you will call him Emmanuel because God is with us. Hey, hope has a name. It's all of those and it's Jesus. And he's calling for you. He's calling your name. And he wants to forgive you of your sins and to give you an anchor for your life, a future hope that is so grounded all of your life would be grounded in him. In Christmas 2020, I can't promise that you won't get COVID. I can't even promise that you won't die from COVID. I can't promise that your marriage will get better or that your kids will make it or that you'll get into college, or get a job, or have enough money. But the one thing I can promise you with all of my heart is that Jesus Christ came into the world for you. And he will receive you if you come to him just as you are. In fact, don't try to fix yourself up. Don't try to get ready for him. Just come as you are. And Jesus Christ is the one who will forgive your sins. He will cleanse your heart and change your thinking and give you an eternal hope and give you eternal life. He came for you. He can do that because his name is called Jesus. God saves. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our savior, to be our hope, to forgive our sins, to give us life everlasting. I pray for all who are listening to my voice and I ask that you will awaken in the very depths of our soul a longing to anchor our lives and to draw our lives closer to Jesus, a steadfast and sure anchor for every storm of life and the greatest storm, our own brokenness. So Lord, come to us this Christmas. We hear your voice. We know you are the hope. And we just ask, Lord Jesus, that you will come into our lives by faith today. We call on you to save us from our sins and be our eternal hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we're going to light a candle together. We'll light them here. You light them at home. <laughs> 